Welcome to the latest instalment of The Curious Capitalist. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also local business owners, startups and entrepreneurs from across the state of Connecticut. On this edition, we have the pleasure of speaking with Alison Holzer, who is the co-CEO and Chief Innovation Officer at InspireCorp, and the co-publisher of the book, Dare to Inspire. Welcome, Alison, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's amazing. Thank you for being here. So tell me a little bit more about InspireCorp and also how you got to this point in your career. Sure. Now, we founded InspireCorp Back in 2013, and I came together at that time with uh, my two co-CEOs, who are um, Jen Grace Barron and Sandy Spataro. And essentially, we came together from three pretty different backgrounds and worlds. But what we shared was a vision for how people can elevate their work and lives through inspiration. So what we were really interested in was people, what makes them tick, what motivates them, and essentially, what can help people have, you know, what makes the difference between an average day and an extraordinary day in your work. And that happens at the individual level, but also for your teams and organizationally. And so we came together with this mission to crack the code on that and to uh, ignite next level performance in work through a variety of different ways that we partner with clients, both uh, through their leadership, um, senior leadership groups, and also um, with their yeah, really to influence their culture as well. That's amazing. So how did you get to this point? That's the, the big question, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have a little bit of a wiggly road that has gotten me to where I am today. Wiggly um, roads are always the best. They have the best view. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I like it. I like it. Better than the highway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I often joke that my uh, original source of inspiration for the work that I do today really started at Dartmouth where I went to undergraduate school and I studied psychology and I attended a class with my favorite professor. His name is Dr. Christian Jernstead. And one of the first classes I attended, he convinced me and the other, you know, 75 or so students who were in that class at the time, he convinced us that mental telepathy was real using a coin toss experiment. And, you know, my mind was blown because I was pretty convinced within a few minutes that I was able to read his mind and it sort of freaked me out. (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) You've got me wondering now, what am I thinking about? Oh, Lord, can she still do it? (laughs) Yes, yes, you know, that's the trick. That's why I'm able, you know, I've carried that trick with me. (laughs) And that concludes today's podcast. Uh, That's Alison Holzer. (laughs) (laughs) Truly, but you know, what stood out to me from that experience was, wow, human mindset and emotions are really powerful. I can go from thinking one thing and in a few minutes thinking something that I, you know, that's possible that I never thought before. And, you know, our emotions are so, so powerful in terms of driving us and and our thoughts. And so I I essentially, it started my fascination with sort of the human psyche and mindsets and emotions and how powerful they are in our, in our lives. So that was sort of the originator, but I definitely took a wavy path to get to where I am today. Um, You know, I worked in education for uh, many years because I was interested in learning and, and growth. And then I became interested in coaching, which is still a passion of mine and became certified in that. So how to really 
coach individuals to activate their emotions and mindsets in more powerful ways. And, uh, and then I worked for many years with what's now called the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. They changed their name. And they, you know, where I worked with scholars who are leading pioneers and experts in emotional intelligence and really help them, you know, bring coaching into that process. So how do you coach uh, better emotional intelligence skills in, you know, individuals and leaders? And really through, through all of those different experiences, you know, it's different ways of working with people to understand, you know, how to, again, activate their best in, in their work. And so um, that's what really led me to come together with my two business partners in 2013, because at that point I was ready to say, you know what, I've been doing this for other organizations and for other people. I'm ready to really bring into the world, you know, some of our own original ideas and uh, break out on our own. So we did. That sounds amazing. What a great wiggly road you took to uh, where you are today, <laughs> that's for sure. So what do you wish that you had known before you started out on this wiggly career path of yours? Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, <laughs> there are many things that I wish I had known, um, but, but I think, you know, one of the things that for me was really formative in, uh, in my learning, you know, that I wish I had known sooner. I learned when I was working with the scholars at the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. And I remember the first time I heard it and I thought, wow, that's really a different way of thinking, um, which is that emotions are data. And so you, you hear this often now, this idea that emotions are data. And that idea that, you know, emotions, we experience so many of them, thousands of them, you know, distinct emotions within a day and all different kinds of emotions, you know, pleasant ones, unpleasant ones. And right now we're all experiencing a lot of different emotions as we're going through this difficult global experience together. And for me, it was really freeing this idea that emotions can tell me something. They're, they're here for a reason. They're not here to just annoy me or distract me or get in the way that, you know, they're actually (laughs) here for a reason. And if I listen to what they're telling me, I can make more insightful decisions and I can choose to take action in ways, um, you know, where I'm choosing them and not just reacting to my emotions. And in some ways, you know, when we, when we did our research on inspiration for the book over five years and, you know, written and published this book, in many ways, what we were doing was deep diving into this emotion of inspiration to really understand um, what is it telling us and how can we more actively and intentionally tap into it. And so I would say that was a pretty formative learning that emotions are data. And, you know, certainly had I known that even earlier in life, you know, I would have been able to tap into that wisdom even sooner. Okay. So if you could have dinner with any figure in history, who would it be and why? And what question might you ask them? Mm. It's a tough one. It is. Um, (laughs) You know, two two different things came to mind and uh, one is a little off, um, a little outside the box, but so I'll- We like quirky, we like quirky. (laughs) Go on, Alison. (laughs) I'll just share one of them. So so one figure of history that just popped into my head as you said that is um, not a human figure in history, but it's the horse secretariat who is, um, and you know, maybe it's because I'm right now, I'm, I'm located right now in Kentucky, the Kentucky Derby was supposed to happen coming up on Saturday. And as a child, I had an opportunity to meet Secretariat. Um, he's no longer alive. Um, but Secretariat is considered by many to be, and he was ranked in, I think, Time Magazine's 
top 100 athletes of the century. He was the only non-human athlete. Wow. <laughs> yeah, not included on that list. Um, so he's considered by many to be one of the top athletes of all time. He holds, you know, the record for the Kentucky Derby and was just an incredible, incredible athlete. And, you know, when they, when they did an autopsy on him after he passed away, they discovered that his heart the size of his heart was almost twice the size of, you know, an average thoroughbred's heart. Wow. And um, it's just, it, it, it's a beautiful vision, you know, really image of thinking about that. You know, of course, yeah. I'm sure that contributed to him being incredible as an athlete, but he also, you know, since I had the opportunity to meet him, he had a big heart. He was a really sweet horse. <laughs> he was a really, yeah. uh, you know, I was, I was a little girl. I think I was around eight, nine years old and, you know, I got to pet him and stand next to him and not all thoroughbreds are sweet. A lot of them are feisty and you wouldn't want to get anywhere near him, but you know, he licked my hand. He was just a very, very sweet guy. So I have many fond memories of him. And certainly if I could have dinner with him again, <laughs> a big bale of hay uh, right now, I, I would. <laughs> and I'd, I'd ask him what he thinks about this upcoming, you know, derby that's not happening. And yeah. I've, I've, that's the first time we've been doing this for some time, this series of podcasts. And that's the first time somebody has selected a thoroughbred horse. <laughs> so tell me, what's the greatest personal fear that you've ever had to face in your life? Mm. Tough one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Um, and to be honest, <laughs> you know, I think I think there are many. You know, I, I'm I'm a big fan of facing fears, or if so, or if something is challenging or difficult, you know, I I, I tend to want to walk towards it rather than walking away from it. Yeah. Um. You know, and but I think one that pops into my head that you know it's a little bit personal, but <laughs> I'll just share it because. It's what came to mind first. Absolutely. Um, is, We're only you know, sharing this with the whole world, Alison. Don't worry. It's oh, fine. yeah. You, you no feel, problem. <laughs> feel really safe and secure in this <laughs> conscious capitalism podcast. Go and share your stuff. <laughs> oh, yes. So <laughs> to get personal, um, no, the, the, the birth of my second child. My first child was delivered via um, cesarean. And my second child, I wanted to try to have a natural birth. And... You know, I mentioned this because a lot of women, you know, many women face this this decision. There's, you know, no right or wrong choices here. Um, but for me personally, I, I wanted to try this this route, and I had all kinds of doubts, and I was definitely terrified because there's, you know, potential risk, pretty serious risk. And but in the end, I really committed to that. And, uh, you know, and worked hard to kind of work through the fear, you know, I did, uh, did meditation, I, um, you know, sought out support groups and, and in the end it worked out, you know, I was able to have, um, a kind of natural birth with my second child and it was, you know, really wonderful experience. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a nice one. It's, it's certainly something I've, I've heard friends who've had cesareans, you know, they've wanted to give birth naturally. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, many have and, and many haven't actually many haven't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell me, how did you first get involved with conscious capitalism in Connecticut? Yeah. Do you see that seamless segue there, by the way, Alison? We, we... Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful, that, isn't it? <laughs> Starts with the letter C. Exactly. <laughs> so, Cesarean to conscious capitalism. And there you go. go. <laughs> 
Yes. Um, so I, I was one of the first um, kind of co-founding members of the board um, when we first came together years ago. And essentially, I, I heard about conscious capitalism first from a person named Jennifer Bernheim, who um, introduced me to Larry Bingaman, the CEO of Regional Water Authority. And you know they, they were really coming together around bringing this into Connecticut, this organization. And really for me, what, what inspired me was when I heard their mission specifically around elevating humanity through business. And I thought, hmm, elevating humanity through business. Because here I am as someone who came out of education and psychology and not a non-business background. I really came out of non-corporate, non-business background when we started in InspireCore and started working with business. And so, you know, for me, this was really wonderful because it captured the best, uh, the best of business, you know, businesses can and do, you know, do good things in the world and they should do good things. And that should be a part of their, their role and their mission in society. So that moved me. Um, I'm an idealistic person at heart. So I thought, yeah, I want to be a part of this. And I um, got involved and I've been involved in it ever since, you know, and since it's a new kind of, it's both a new-ish movement internationally, but it's even newer on the East Coast. So like all new movements, you know, it takes a while for, for people to hear about it and understand what it is and really get in, interested in it. And um, I'm happy to be a part of that journey in Connecticut. Absolutely. And some of the events that Conscious Capitalism have put on have been fantastic locally. And uh, certainly the Connecticut chapter is, uh, is going from strength to strength. Yes. Thinking about your company, if you like, what language would you use to describe your your company's culture? Does it have a definable culture or character at all? Oh, definitely. Definitely it does. Um, and, you know, I think language is really important in terms of culture, but culture is always evolving is the way I experience it. So we do have some aspects of our culture that have really been there from the beginning. For example, you know, inspiration. That's something that we've cared about from the beginning. And, you know, we often will say it's written in our book. We talk about this, that a leader's first job is to inspire self and that we all have this sort of responsibility to, to take ownership over how inspired we are every day in our work and our lives. And through that, then we can inspire others and, and organizations and culture, et cetera. So that's, that's really been at the core from the beginning. And, and we take that very seriously. You know, we say that's embedded in our culture. You know, we, we talk about it all the time. We encourage our employees to be thinking about it all the time. It's, you know, something that we build into our, we call them pulse checks. We don't really use what we call performance management, like some organizations do, but we have what's called pulse checks, you know, with our employees. And I like that. It. That's great. Pulse checks. Yeah. To check yeah. their alive still, I assume. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You've not done enough work today. Are you alive? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. And it's embedded in there, you know, in inspiration. It's like those, um, you can definitely put the oxygen back on, you know, <laughs> like what's, what's your inspiration <laughs> boost? But bam. Okay. There we are. <laughs> but yes, it's, it's in everything that we talk about. So that's important. But at the same time, you know, our culture is evolving. You know, we learn more every year. Um, what's important to us. One of the things that we do that I'm really proud of is it's called job crafting. And it's an exercise and actually anybody can do it. If you Google job crafting, you know, you'll see websites pull up and you can purchase your own job crafting booklet. booklet. It's through, I think, the University of 
of Michigan. Um, we don't get royalties on this, by the way, but <laughs> we just we just like it. Uh, it's a great booklet that that we use, and you can go through this process where it has you evaluate for yourself. You know how your work is going, how aligned it is to your strengths, to your values, ways that you want to create more purpose in your work. Very much aligned to conscious capitalism kind of you know pillars and values. And we encourage everyone on our team, and we you know as leaders do this as well. We do this exercise. We try to every year, and then based on this exercise and what the results are for each of us individually, we then think about how to adjust and craft our business strategy, our culture, our, our values based on the results of this. So in other words, we try to be responsive to what people's individual needs and sources of inspiration are as a company. That's fantastic to really sort of tune into people's real strengths and as they change and evolve and develop to, to get mm -hmm. the best out of your people. That's amazing. Fantastic. Like that. So thinking about your company culture, what has been the, the hardest attribute for you to attain within your company and why has it been difficult? And ultimately, how did you make it happen? <sighs> you know, I mean, it's interesting because I, I talked about how inspiration's, you know, been a core factor and important piece of our culture from the beginning. And I don't know if I would say that it's the hardest to attain, but what we do think about a lot is how do you sustain it? You know, yeah, how do you sustain it? Yeah. How do you, yeah, how do you, how do you make it last? You know, not just have it be there and spark it. And I think a lot of companies go through this and certainly our clients, you know, we, we hear this too. They'll go through a situation where they may talk about their values or talk about attributes in their culture and then they get really excited about it and then they walk away from it and they just sort of disappear, you know, yeah, or, or it gets they get filed. They get, yeah, it gets filed. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, so I think, I think that's one of the biggest challenges is how do you sustain it? Yeah. Um, so I think one of the ways, you know, one of the ways that we try to sustain um, at least that particular value and aspect of our culture is certainly through autonomy, you know, having People have a lot of freedom and voice in their in their work, and we we listen. We try to listen a lot to what both those our employees have to say, and also our clients. I think listening is really important, so that we know, you know, when we're off track. Like that's that's the important piece. Absolutely. You know, when are, yeah. When are we? When are we not? You know, not inspiring. And when do we need to kind of get back on track there? So, um, and I mentioned before the pulse checks. That's another way that we do that with employees. I think that's really important. And then we also encourage people to come up with their own, call them inspiration plans, or some people call them swagger plans, but they're like, how do each of us individually sustain this for ourselves over time? And what plans do we have in place for that? And I'll just share individually, you know, for me personally, because, you know, as a leader in this organization, of course, I need to be inspired. That's essential for me. And especially because it's part of our culture. So one of the things that I do to sustain it is craft uh, what, what we call unstructured time. We actually write about this in the book because it's one of the uh, engines, of, engines of inspiration that we learned about in our research. 
And it's not easy to carve out unstructured time, you know, in a week. And I define that as time where I don't have a defined task or agenda or anything that I'm trying to accomplish. It's really open time for like, for a brain sabbatical. <laughs> you I know, for, love for, that. Love yeah, that, a brain right. sabbatical. <laughs> oh. Yeah, like your brain just kind of gets opened up and, you know, and sometimes on a brain sabbatical, you want to read and like kind of take in new ideas. Sometimes you just want to go for a walk and let it wander. And sometimes you want to do something that's kind of going to spark some new ideas and new experience. But it's really, a, um, it's more about kind of being open and rather than trying to be in that task production kind of mode that we're so often in. Absolutely. <laughs> Ticking things off a list. You need time yeah. to breathe. Brain sabbatical. Oh that's, love that. Yes. Yeah, so that gonna... for me is my, uh, my personal inspiration, the way that I sustain it <laughs> in, uh, for me. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to make sure I tell uh, tell my boss uh, I, I need a brain sabbatical. I'm going to see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, let me let me know. Let me I know. Will. I'm curious. <laughs> so, when you're not focused on your work, what do you do to relax? I mean, you mentioned there your brain sabbatical, walking. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you watch television? Do you have any crazy <laughs> hobbies other than having dinner with horses? Tell me. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's it's funny because I wonder: do I answer this question? right now or normal you know pre pre covid pandemic times or current times you know it's it's changed and shifted a bit i have yeah. to say but one thing more recently through the pandemic that's been an enjoyable new activity that we've discovered is pu puzzles doing puzzles you know i was never really into that oh my and goodness me too Oh yeah, you love Me them? too. I haven't touched a puzzle since I was still in England and I was maybe seven years old. Mm. I am obsessed with puzzles. They're great commodities <laughs> at the moment as well, by the way. They're price gouging puzzles. I know, Outrageous. I know. <laughs> they are, they are. <laughs> yes, and, we, and we've been building them and then we keep them all on our tables. And you know, my sister was saying, well, you should put a big glass thing on top of them so you can kind of keep them, you know, to remember, remember the times. <laughs> Of all, of all the puzzles on the table, but um, a Corona souvenir tabletop. Exactly. I'm not sure about that bit. I'm not sure about I that. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I don't know if I want to remember the time. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> it truly, you know, it, it has been um, a really, actually, in, in all seriousness, a special way to come together as a family because, you know, I've got little kids, um, you know, my husband, and um, we don't. In, in a normal day-to-day, -day, we wouldn't come together in that way of just working on something together, like producing something together. You know, normally it would just be conversation or having dinner and that kind of thing. There is something different when you, you're you making something, you know, you're building. Like it, it works a different part of your brain and we connect in a different way and, I, and I'm really enjoying it. So I'd I like totally to get that. Puzzles that. are fantastic. I think it's the fact that you can be in the same space as somebody else. You mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have to speak. You know, it's it's a very quiet yes. thing, but it's a together thing, but also something that you're actually working on in, in your own head. Your little brain sabbatical <laughs> that's happening. <laughs> and you kind of learn you kind of learn people's strengths. You know, I have mm. one one child who's you know more of a um, you know he likes to put the pieces together. We've got. You know, one who likes to sort. There's one who likes the edges. You know, everybody has their own 
sort of strengths. And it, it is interesting to see that because again, you don't see that in, in maybe everyday kind of interactions or even like watching TV together, or cooking dinner. It's like this, this is something a little bit different. So it's I've, fascinating. I've yeah, mm -hmm. no, absolutely. I can really get on the geeky puzzle train with you. I really can. <laughs> I didn't think I'd ever say that 10 years ago, but I do. I'm, I'm quite partial to a puzzle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, talking about, you know, the culture in your business, would you say that your organization has a stated higher purpose, you know, in line with, with conscious capitalism and, and the pillars? If so, mm -hmm. what is it and how did you arrive at it? Yeah, um, so we do have a, a higher purpose. Our higher purpose is elevating work and lives through inspiration. Love that. And yeah, that's what we're about. And we came to that, you know, we've had different iterations, uh, I would say, over the years. And we do come together as leaders and we also get input from everybody, you know, in our organization. But we ha we come together over retreats and we, we revisit this and we have conversations about it. So it does evolve and shift over time. But certainly inspiration has been a part of it from the beginning. And I think it's evolved to become bigger over time. So I think in the past, because we primarily work with organizations and companies, we've, our, you know, purpose is focused more on kind of in the world of work. And certainly that's what we do. But this purpose that we have now elevating work and lives through inspiration, I think it really acknowledges the fact that, you know, I think the boundaries between people's work lives and personal lives are blurrier now more than ever before. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, you know, definitely, yeah. especially here in America, you know. It's oh, yeah. Very much so. Exactly. So it's, you know, if we're working on one, we're working on the other, essentially. <laughs> so what's been the biggest success story for this business to date? What would you say has been the biggest success? Mm, that's a great question. The biggest success. <sighs> As you ask that question, um, I don't know if it, it exposes sort of my own kind of personal passions and, you know, or bias around my own passion for coaching, because certainly what immediately comes to mind are several sort of success cases with individual coaching clients that we've worked with. And not, not just always me personally, but just our firm, you know, we have extended team of coaches. And what I love about that is, you know, when we when we move an individual to to see themselves in a more expanded way, so perhaps they didn't see themselves as a leader and now they do, or perhaps they saw themselves as restricted in what they were capable of influencing within the organization. And now all of a sudden they see that they can make a different kind of impact or difference. The ripple effect of that impact is really incredible. You know, one individual can make such a tremendous difference across the organization and across the culture of the organization when they are taking action and really driving forward through that place of inspiration, which is more about possibility and, you know, what, what you can do. So I almost see it as our biggest success is our ability to really work with these individuals who can have this key impact on others. And we're able to, it's almost like that Jedi mind trick <laughs> of the coin toss, you know, <laughs> experiment of mental telepathy. It's like, how can you take someone who maybe is really fixed in this mindset of I can't do this or this isn't possible and you're able to get them to see something that they never thought was possible before. 
Absolutely. And also, I guess, you know, if you can uncover people's hidden interests and, and channel them into hidden talents, if you like, you're going to really bring out the best in people, which is fantastic for everybody. But they're going to feel fulfilled and the company's hopefully going to be successful too. Absolutely. Very rewarding. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yes. Okay. To wrap up, tell me, Alison, what does life look like for you for the next five or 10 years? Tell me a little bit about your plans for the next five or 10 years. Oh, gosh. Crystal yes. ball. Come on. <laughs> five to 10 years. You know, it's funny. I was just having a conversation with, with a senior leader um, earlier this morning about how it's so hard to to be in that space right now, given the global pandemic, even though normally, normally we, I love to play in the space of what's possible for the next five to 10 years, right? That's a really fun place for me to be, Absolutely. my brain to go. But you know, at this current time, it's, it's interesting because there's so much uncertainty that I think it's a natural human instinct to kind of be focused on a shorter range of vision. So that being said, I guess we're in this space and I'm about to go into a strategic conversation with my two partners this afternoon where we're having a conversation about what's next as we come across this bridge that's happening right now. And we, we don't know where the end of the bridge is gonna be. You know, We don't know how long this, this is gonna be going and, and we know there's gonna be changes that will be you know, maybe permanent in terms of how people work and, and the world of work. But where are we going to come out the other side? And so we're about to go have this conversation <laughs> later today. Just a little timely, bit, of, bit of prep. Timely question. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of prep. Uh, but I think, you know, where my mind goes for the business is, you know, really having um, a larger scale impact and connection. You know, we're a newer company. We have a newer book that's out. I think people don't yet know our brand yet and so we're we're really evolving and i'd love to see in five to ten years our brand really being recognized more readily and also people really understanding inspiration as a as a resource that they can tap into so that we've really flipped the switch on that kind of like how 10 15 years ago emotional intelligence and empathy were things that you know in business people were like oh that doesn't have anything to do with business and now things have come around you know people get it they understand emotional intelligence is critical empathy right now more critical than ever in business there's actual stats that show the importance of these things my hope in 5 to 10 years is they'll have that same realization about inspiration as a critical resource within um, organizations. So that's certainly a shift that I hope to see happen. I've got to tell you, I feel absolutely inspired after this, I have to say. Mm. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Alison Holzer, the co-CEO and Chief Innovation Officer at InspireCore and the co-publisher of the book, Dare to Inspire. Do check out that book. Uh, you have a website as well, I'm assuming? Yes, our website is www.inspire.com core.com and core is spelled like army core so c-o-r-p-s and um, I, I will share that we have a section on our website right now that has a bunch of free you know open to everybody resources and tools that can support both individuals and teams during this this time of uncertainty so i encourage you if you're looking for tools to help your team whether it's with you know better remote connection or how to navigate personal change and leadership go explore because we've got a lot on there i will definitely be checking that out that's inspirecore.com c-o-r-p-s uh allison it's been an absolute pleasure if anybody would like to find out more information about the conscious capital Capitalism movement here in Connecticut. The website is connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org. 
www.thepodcastmaker.org. Alison, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope that we get to uh, follow this up post-corona and uh, see how you're getting on with uh, various projects. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Claire. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the latest installment of The Curious Capitalist. For more information, you can visit the website, connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org.